This morning, I want to invite you to open up to Matthew chapter 24, and we will continue the journey through the Olivet Discourse as we take a look at what the Lord has for us this morning. Let's read together, beginning at verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. And woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise, show many signs and wonders, to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So therefore, if I say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. And immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He will send His angels with a loud sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. For heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we ask that by your spirit, your word would be alive to us, God. That you would move in a mighty way in in this place, Lord, we just ask, God, that you be glorified. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> well, as we've been going through the Olivet Discourse, it's interesting because you'll remember this all begins as the Lord says they're standing on the Temple Mount. Looking at the Temple and all the glory of Israel, he says, See, then your house is left to you desolate. It's interesting because we talked about the fact that the scriptures spoke of a day when God would come to the Temple Mount, when he would visit that place, when he would stand in that area. In fact, we saw Jesus come 
and cleansed the temple area. Remember, he drove out the, the money changers. He made it clean. And remember what he said. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer. Now, immediately after that, there's a disortation with the scribes and the Pharisees as they're putting him to the test. And ultimately, what we see in chapter uh, 22 and 23, leading up to the, the rejection of Christ, this, this time when Jesus delivers the woes to the Pharisees for what's going to happen as a result of the rejection of the Messiah. And at the end of that, he says, See now, your house is left to you desolate. He's leaving. And the glory is going with him. It's departing from that place. And as they're walking off the mount, the disciples, they, they point up to the, to the temple and they say, Well, Lord, look at the majesty of this building. Have you ever seen anything like it? And Jesus said, Truly I tell you, not one stone will be left upon another. It's all coming down. So the disciples ask him two questions. When is that going to happen? When will the temple be destroyed? Jesus answers that in the beginning of Matthew 24 and in Luke chapter 21. And then what will be the sign of your coming? And that word coming is a word that doesn't just mean when you're going to be here. It means when you're going to come, set up your kingdom, when you're going to stay, the end of the age. The end of the age speaks of the entrance into the kingdom. The kingdom that Jesus had been talking about all throughout Matthew. So he begins by telling them, well, let me tell you how it's not going to happen. Well, he, he says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famine and pestilence. We've had those things all the time, right? But he said the end's not yet. Those things are going to continue. Those things are going to continue to happen. Their, their, their frequency may increase like labor pains coming upon a pregnant woman. But as those things go on, he says, don't worry about that. The end is not yet. Those things aren't pointing necessarily to that return. But in verse 15, he gives us the one sign that you can hang your hat by. When you see this, then you know. It's called the abomination of desolation. Spoken of by Daniel the prophet. In verse 15, he lays it out for us. He's, he he tells us, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, what? Standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. So, <clears throat> let's understand the abomination that makes desolation. It's spoken of in Daniel chapter 9. So while you're, you're sitting here, you can flip with me over to Daniel chapter 9, and we'll just talk a little bit about it. Uh, I happen to love this particular prophecy in we could spend all day on it, but we won't. But I just want to go through the concept of it. Beginning in verse 24 of Daniel chapter 9, it says, Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Shabuim. Seventy sevens. Seventy-seven year periods of time. Shabuim is the same word like we would use the word decade. Only for the nation of Israel, things are in sevens. Seventy-seven year periods of time. What are they determined for? Your, your people. Who's writing this book? Daniel. Who's your people? The nation of Israel. The Jews. For your people and your holy city. What's your holy city for them? The city of Jerusalem, right? The city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. What are the things that are going to be accomplished in these 77s, these prophetic years that Daniel talks about? There will be a finish 
Uh, to finish the transgression. One, to make an end of sins. Two, three, to make reconciliation for iniquity. Four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Five, to seal up vision and prophecy. That seal up means to complete vision and prophecy. Six, and to anoint the most holy. So he says in verse 25, Know therefore and understand from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until the Messiah, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street will be built again and the wall, even in troublesome times. So he begins to tell us when Daniel tells us when the clock starts. He says the clock starts at the decree to go and rebuild Jerusalem. There are four decrees in the scripture. Three of those decrees deal with going and rebuilding the temple. One, so we won't mess it up, deals with rebuilding Jerusalem. March 14, 445 B.C. by Artaxerxes. You can read about it in Ezra and Nehemiah. And he talks about going and, and rebuilding Jerusalem. And that rebuilding, you notice he says, there will be seven years... And 62, seven weeks and 62 weeks. The rebuilding took 49 years. So he divides it. They're going to be rebuilding the streets in those times, the troublesome times. There's going to be, you, when you read the book of Nehemiah and you study it, you see Nehemiah saying, with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, they rebuilt Jerusalem. They put the pieces back together. Just like Daniel said thousands of years before it's going to take place, actually about 70 years before they're going to head in. But as we see, as we look, he's going he's gonna to speak then to the coming of Messiah. When's Jesus going to come? He gives us a countdown from March 14, 45 B.C. He says, and after the 62 weeks, or the 62 sevens, Messiah will be cut off. 483 years would take us to Messiah. April 6, 32 A.D. You'll know it as the day we celebrate Palm Sunday. It's a day when Jesus rode into Jerusalem and the people proclaimed, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's the day when he was proclaimed as Messiah. The only day that he allowed the people to say, Here he is, this is the one. And as he walks in, Scripture says, After that, Messiah will be karat. That's the Hebrew word. It means put to death, cut off. It means that they're going to kill the Messiah. That, that the one who comes as Messiah is going to die. What do they say? Why is he going to die? It says, not for himself. It's not for his sin. It's not for something that he does wrong. But it says, <clears throat> he will be cut off, not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come. Listen, as we look prophetically, and I'm already going to spend more time than I want to spend. But if we look prophetically, the prince who is to come in the Old Testament is a reference to the Antichrist. And when we think of Antichrist, think of anti in the, in the proper sense. Anti meaning pseudo, in place of. Not necessarily against, but in, in place of him. Oh, you're so nice, Sonny, but there's no way I'm going to blow my nose. <laughs> That's a loving wife, though, isn't it? <laughs> She's so good to me. <clears throat> Think of Antichrist in the sense of pseudo-Christ, in place of. Jesus, the scripture said, would come in his father's name, and they wouldn't receive him. But another will come, how? In his own name, and him you will receive. Pseudo, in place of Christ. So here, <clears throat> this idea, the, the prince who shall come, the people 
from whom he arises, the Antichrist, the people from whom he arises, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Now we know when that happened, don't we? 70 AD, the, the, the city of Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus Vespasian and the Roman legion. The Roman legion wiped it out. You always wondered why they say there's going to be a revived Roman Empire from which the pseudo or Antichrist will come from. It's because Daniel chapter 9 said, not only the day Jesus would walk into Jerusalem, but also, he says, from whom the, the pseudo-Christ or the Antichrist is going to arise. All that is laid out for us here. Daniel chapter 9. But listen, he goes on to tell him, the end of it shall be with a flood. That word means a dispersion. So what happens at the destruction of Jerusalem? There's a dispersion of the nation of Israel for 2,000 years. The nation does not exist as a nation and it's spread around the world. To the four corners of the world. All the way back, folks, all the way back in, in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the scripture said that there would be a dispersion where the Jews would be thrown out of their land and spread around the world. That's exactly what Daniel's talking about here. Now, it goes on in verse 27. Then he, the prince who is to come, then he will confirm a covenant with the many for one week. He will confirm. He, the the prince who is to come, the pseudo-Christ, will confirm a covenant, a peace treaty, with the many. The many throughout the Old Testament is a reference to Israel. Every time it's a title, the many. They're going to confirm a peace treaty. So, the last seven-year period of time that we have from Daniel's prophecy, the tribulation period that we talk about, that, that Matthew is alluding to in chapter 24... That tribulation period will begin with a peace treaty that comes from him, the prince who is to come, with Israel. He's going to make a peace treaty with them. And the prophetic clock begins. But you see, the scripture lays out for us, between verse 26 and 27, that there are wars and desolations are determined. There's going to be hard times that are going to fall upon the Jewish people, and the clock stops. Why does the clock stop? Because Israel ceases to be a nation. And Israel ceases to be a nation until some argue 1948. I would argue for 1967. Israel cannot be complete until Jerusalem is all hers. Today the whole world stands against what we know as the nation of Israel, which is fitting prophetically with what the Word of God is laying out for us. But see, Matthew's telling us a specific sign the specific sign he's telling us is here in verse 27 what's he say he will confirm a covenant with the many for one week but in the middle of the week in the middle of the week which is three and a half years dead center in the middle of the week he'll bring an end to sacrifice and offering and on the week and on the wing of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined will be poured out upon the desolate. So he, this is where he begins speaking about it. He's also going to speak of it on, uh, in uh, chapter 11 as well. But when we look at what Daniel's saying, he's talking about one who brings desolation. An abomination that specifically takes place. In Daniel chapter 11, he gives us a foreshadowing. The foreshadowing is from 168 B.C., 168 B.C. is is during the intertestamental period. Listen, the intertestamental period is between Old and New Testament. 400 silent years. The nation 
has returned to the land and they've tried to rebuild the temple. Nehemiah built this temple, but the, the, the old people who had seen the glory of Solomon's temple weep when they see the new temple because it's so frail. And as they've got this new temple, this guy comes in. He's one of the Seleucids. Everybody heard of Alexander the Great, right? Alexander the Great dies and his kingdom is divided into four parts. Those four generals that take his four kingdoms spend the rest of their life fighting over who should have the rest. One of the weaker guys coming out of the Seleucids is a fellow named Antiochus Epiphanes. He names himself the Enlightened One. And when he comes through Jerusalem as a foreshadowing of the abomination of desolation, he enters into the holy place. The holy place is not Jerusalem. The holy place is a specific room within the temple. He walks into the holy place where he sacrifices a pig, sets himself up as God, uh, the Epiphanes. They called him Epimanes, which means a crazy one. But he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes. I'm the enlightened one. I'm the light, is what he's saying. Doesn't that sound kind of familiar? Well, we'll see that a little later when we see Jesus Christ on the scene. Well, there he is. The Maccabees, first and second Maccabees, which is apocryphal books that give us the history of this battle. They go and they take Antiochus Epiphanes, drive him out of the land, cleanse the temple... The oil that was supposed to light in the temple burns for longer than it should have while they had seven days to prepare it. The eighth day it was ready and you have the celebration of lights we call today Hanukkah. All that Daniel chapter 11 tells us about. And he says, now this is the abomination that makes desolate. When you see him standing in the holy place. In Matthew chapter 24, the concept that he's laying out for us is that very thing. It's got to be a sign that you recognize, that you don't wonder about. Now there are people, they're called preterists. Preterist means past, that's Latin for past, and they believe everything that you read in the scriptures has already happened. And indeed, some of it has already happened. But the example that they look to for this scripture, the example that they look to here, is that when the Roman legions conquered Jerusalem, and they destroyed the temple, you remember, and they knocked every stone, not one left on another, right? That's what Jesus said. When they knocked all the stones off, they were standing in the holy place, and so they're the fulfillment. Now when you read Matthew chapter 24, he says, when you see... The abomination of desolation, what? Standing in the holy place, what's he tell them to do? He says run, right? Now if you look historically at when the Roman legion was destroying the temple, everyone was already dead. It's a little too late to run. And it doesn't work very well as a sign for the nation of Israel to flee. I believe this is pointing to a future event that's going to take place, just like Jesus said. That there's a coming world leader who's going to make a peace plan with Israel. Has Israel been in the news at all for peace plans? Does anybody remember? I don't know. If you turn on the news, have you ever watched the news and Israel not been in it? Been a long time, hasn't it? Everybody wants to solve the problem of the Middle East peace process, right? One day, somebody will. 
And we know that a temple will, will be rebuilt. Is there a temple there today? No. But the temple has to be rebuilt for him to stand in the holy place. The temple institute in Israel currently, today, right now, every implement for the temple is ready to go. Some people even argue that they have the Ark of the Covenant. Maybe they do. They may. It's interesting to note, for the nation of Israel, in case you think that the Ark of the Covenant is a necessary process, for well over a hundred years, they worshipped and gave sacrifices without the Ark. If they have it, great. If they don't, they can still have the temple. They can still have all that together. So he said, if you want to know a sign, what's he talking about now? The answering the second question of my coming, when I will come as king. You want to know when to start your clocks, how to know when I'm going to be there? When you see the abomination that makes desolate. What's he tell them? Remember who he's talking to? <clears throat> he's talking to the disciples. And he's speaking of the nation of Israel. What's he say? Let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down and take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. He's saying, everybody all around Jerusalem, if you see this happen, run now. Don't wait. He says to them, don't even go get your cloak. Listen to the Jewish picture of that. The Jew farmer would put on his cloak and go down to his field. As he was working in his field, he would take his cloak off and lay it there at the beginning of his field, and he would go out in his field and work. So when he says, don't even go get your cloak, he's saying, don't walk from where you are to go grab your coat on the edge of the field to flee. He just says, flee. Get out. Leave town. Get away. He's, he's going to lay out to us. He's going to tell us exactly why. He says, woe to those who are pregnant. Why? So it's harder to run. It's harder to get away if you're nursing a baby. It takes longer. Verse 20, and pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on Sabbath. If something happens on the Sabbath day, does that affect you and me? Last I checked, we don't have uh, uh, <coughs> Shabbat elevators. You guys ever been on a Shabbat elevator? It's bad. Shabbat elevator. It's a Sabbath elevator. Let me tell you. The Sabbath day, you're not supposed to do any work, especially in Israel. You're not supposed to ignite a fire, so you're not supposed to start your car. You're not supposed to do any of these things. Everything should be prepared the day before. On a Shabbat elevator, on the Sabbath, you get in the elevator, and so you don't have to push any buttons, it stops at every single floor. So if you're trying to run and get out of a building fast, do not take the Shabbat elevator. It'll take you forever to get down. He says, pray that it would not be on the Sabbath. Listen, he's talking about very Jewish things for a very Jewish nation and the nation of Israel. He's saying, when you see this, Israel, get out, flee, run, fly. For then, in verse 21, then there will be great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. The scripture speaks of that final seven year period of time that we read about in Daniel as being the tribulation period, the outpouring of the wrath of God 
on a Christ-rejecting world. The worst part of that is called the Great Tribulation, which is the last three and a half years, which begins with the abomination of desolation. It begins with that ruler presenting himself as God to the people. Listen, the scriptures have been telling us about this since way back coming through Genesis to today. The scriptures have been laying these things out for us. In fact, if you just turn with me quickly to 2 Thessalonians, <coughs> 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul writing to the church of Thessalonica, the church of Thessalonica is struggling. They, they thought that Jesus' return was, was, it was imminent, would come at any time, and they were not sure about their brothers and sisters who have died. What's going to happen to them? How's this all going to work out for them? So Paul writes to him. Some of you will be familiar with 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, because 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is the groundwork for what we call the rapture of the church. It's the withdrawal of ambassadors. Well, I think about it like this. When you and I, when we, when we see a nation declare war, do they just start launching bombs? Before they declare war, what do they do? They withdraw their ambassadors. They bring their ambassadors home. They close the embassy. I know, I've been there. Flown into Haiti to make sure the embassy was clear when there was a coup going on so that we could get our people out safely for, for when war broke out. Or if war broke out. So when that happens, we, we bring the ambassador home, get our people out, and then the thrust or the battle begins. It's exactly the same thing we see in Scripture when, when the Lord calls His ambassadors, the church, home. He brings them home before the war. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 lay out that. We're not necessarily going to get into all that. What I want to show you is what Paul talks about in this scripture. What we're reading about. The abomination of desolation. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says, Now brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering unto Him. Two separate events. The coming of the Lord Jesus Christ speaks of the time when He places. Remember I told you what's the coming mean? When He comes to stay. His feet hit the ground. He's here. He's setting up his kingdom. That's his time. That's the second coming. It happens in Revelation chapter 19. The second event that he talks about, and our gathering unto him, is when he pulls his ambassadors and he brings the church home before the battle begins, before the war starts. He says, now I want to speak to you about this. Don't be so soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter. As if from us, as though the day of Christ has already come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless a falling away come first, and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That. The example in history, 168 B.C. of Antiochus Epiphanes, one day another world leader is going to do the same thing. Paul talks about it in, in 2 Thessalonians. Hey, don't worry about it as though you missed the, the coming of the Lord. Listen, <clears throat> that cannot happen. None of those things will occur until the Antichrist has been revealed and he can't be revealed until he who restrains is taken out of the way. 
The restrainer, by the way, according to Jesus in the Gospel of John, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, in the body of Christ. Jesus said, when I go, it's good for you. Because when I go, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to convict you. Going to convict the world of sin and of righteousness. He's going to do this work in your life. When He, the Holy Spirit, comes into you, the church. So the Holy Spirit in the life of the church is the restraining force for the man of sin. The Antichrist can't be revealed until he who is restrained is taken out of the way. Then lawlessness will reign. And he will be seen. He will be recognized. Matthew chapter 24. As Jesus continues to lay out his... uh, his, his call upon them, he says, Then, that moment, the three and a half year period, will be such great tribulation. But according, listen, I don't want you to get confused about this concept. <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians 5.9, we are not appointed under wrath. Revelation chapter 6 is the beginning of the tribulation period. The first seven years, the seven years of Daniel's final 70th week. At the end of Revelation chapter 6, you can read it for yourself. As the seals are being opened, this is in the first three and a half years. In the first three and a half years, the people will dive and hide under rocks and in holes. And they will cry out to the heavens, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 9 says, the church, the body of Christ, is not appointed to what? Wrath. Chapter 6 of Revelation is the beginning of the tribulation period. And it is called the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of Jesus Christ. The wrath of God. So he who is restrained, the work of the Holy Spirit in the body of the church is removed. The man of sin will be revealed. The Antichrist, he'll be seen. He will, at this moment... Three and a half years into the tribulation period, the great tribulation begins with the abomination of desolation. Remember, he's answering the second question. What's the second question? When are you coming? When is your foot going to touch the ground and you're going to stay forever and be king? And so he's telling them. So when you see the abomination of desolation, run, flee, because there's going to be such a time. Listen, this is important. That has never been since the beginning of time, nor ever shall be. The preterist or the amillennialist who believes that these things have already occurred in 70 AD <coughs> is saying that the destruction of Jerusalem was the worst period of human history ever from the past all the way through till today. And that's a hard thing to convince people of. Well, you see, we have this little thing called the Holocaust. Remember it? When the Nazis slaughtered six million Jews. When these things took place, they're saying that the destruction in 70 AD was was worse than that. It's hard to reconcile. So what you have to do is spiritualize the text. 
But, but I don't want to spiritualize the text. I just want to take the Bible to mean what it says. It says this is what it means. These things are going to take place. They are yet future. And the Lord wants us to understand that this is a sign that they will know when He's coming to set His foot on the ground. In verse 22, He says, Unless those days were shortened, it's a good thing it's only three and a half years, because if it was more than that, there would be nobody left. But for the elect's sake, they are shortened. Now when we read the elect, who's the elect? A lot of times people look at the elect. There's three different groups that are the elect. Well, you can really knock it down to two if you wanted to. Throughout Scripture, there are three groups called the elect. Old Testament saints are the nation of Israel, the church, and the tribulation saints. The elect, chosen of God. All three saved. A part of, <clears throat> a part of salvation before the elect's sake. Listen, I want you to understand the context, because I don't want you to get lost. The context is guys asking Jesus. He just told them their temple's going to be destroyed. They're worried about their nation. They're worried about the nation of Israel. What's going to happen to us? What's going to go on? So the Lord says, at the abomination of desolation, there's going to be these horrible things that happen. But because that time is short, the elect will not be destroyed. I believe he's talking about Israel. I believe he's talking about them. They will not be destroyed. And I'll show you why as we continue on, as we work our way through the scripture. He says then, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. Now, in this next section, he's going to be dealing with, he's going to be dealing with people who say there was a, a, a secret appearance and Christ is back, but nobody knows about it. But that's not, listen, that's not what scripture teaches. Okay, we are talking about the coming to stay. That's the word. Feet on the ground, here to be king. Jesus is going to say, if they say he's here, he's there, don't believe him. Because it's not going to be something that happens secretly. Every eye will see. Everyone will know. Look what he says as we continue on. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders. Why are they showing those great signs and wonders? One purpose. What's it say? To deceive. To deceive. To cause to stumble. To trip. If it were possible, even the elect. <coughs> to try to deceive them. To try to cause them to stumble. See, I have told you beforehand. Listen, I'm telling you before it happens. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert. Don't go out there. If they say, look, he's in the inner rooms. Don't believe it. In our own time, these things have occurred. Oh, Jesus returned secretly, he's in the desert. And people run out to the desert to see him. Or Jesus returned secretly and he's hidden in this room. He's going to be revealed later. The scripture says, listen, if it says that, don't go. It's not me. Look what he says. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. When's the last time you were out at night in a thunderstorm and lightning, a big old flash of lightning goes across the sky? Did you see it? Yeah, you saw it. That's the point. He's saying you'll see it. It's going to be evident. It's not going to be secret. Everyone's going to know. Jesus said, when I come back, when my foot hits the planet, when I set my foot at the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives splits down the middle, when he returns, everyone is going to know. Everyone is going to know that I have come back. 
He goes on, for wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now listen, he's just trying to say, if you see, we go out and we're out there out hunting and we see a bunch of vultures circling. What do we know? Something's dead. You saw it. You understand it's visible. You can know. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to hope. You can know. This is what he's saying. Listen, an exhortation to not worry about false Christ. When the true Christ returns, they will see him. Their eyes will know. He goes on in verse 29. And he says to describe the return. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. He says, listen, at that time, the return of Christ, when he comes back at the end of the tribulation period, when it's done and he comes to be king, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars are going to be shaken out of the heavens. It sounds like a pretty crazy thing happening in the heavens, doesn't it? Well, it's awful hard to say that's already happened. We'd have noticed. We'd have seen. It's not talking about an eclipse. It's saying, man, lights are going out, stars are falling out of the sky. This is an incredible time of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the heavens. And then listen, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. For they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. They will see Him coming. That all the nations of the earth will mourn. They'll see There will be no, I wonder if he exists or if he's real. There will be no temporal concepts. It is, there he is. He has come. I see him. There he is. They see him in the heavens returning. The scriptures lay out in Zechariah 14. In Zechariah 14, 5, he returns with all the angels, listen to this, and all the saints. All the angels and all the saints. Revelation chapter 19 tells us that when he returns, the bride of Christ will be with him. The church is there. He's returning, coming back to the earth. The church is with him. The saints and the angels, an incredible innumerable host. We're talking about ten thousands times ten thousands. Remember when Jesus told Peter, Peter, put away your sword when he cut off Malchus' ear at the cross? He said, don't you know I could have called 10,000 angels? What's 10,000 angels look like in the heavens? That's a lot. What's 10,000 times 10,000 look like? Also, all the saints, all those who have died in Christ, the raptured church, all those who, the tribulation saints who are there with him, all returning with him at the same time. What's that look like in the heavens? Just a little thing? It's going to be this incredible thing. It's an incredible sign This incredible thing for people to see. And all the earth will mourn. They'll mourn because time's up. It's over. And we think, I used to think, man, it'd be kind of cool to come back with Christ, you know. And there he is up there on his horse coming down. And I'm on mine and I get to be part of the last battle. Nope. There's not much of a last battle. 
Read Revelation chapter 19. It says Jesus opens his mouth and consumes the people with the sword of his mouth. Colossians tells us that in him all things consist. That means they are held together by the power of his word. All he has to do is speak and you're not held together anymore. It's utter, total wipeout. Destruction of all the armies of all the world lined up there in Armageddon to wipe out the nation of Israel. They've come to destroy. And at that time, in the heavens, the sign appears. Jesus Christ returns with all His saints. And He sets it all right. He sets it straight. He will send His angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they will gather together His elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. When we look at the Scripture... It's, it's identical to the Old Testament prophets speaking of God drawing together the nation of Israel from the four corners of the world. The elect, the, the, the ones that are truly his. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9. They tell us that one third of, of the nation of Israel is, is, is going to survive and two-thirds will be wiped out it's 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 incredible the concept the scripture lays out all of israel be saved but not all who call themselves israel are israel those who are truly of israel are those governed by god they believe they've accepted christ as their messiah and from the four corners of the earth he's going to gather them together when we get to chapter 25 we'll talk about what happens to them a little bit more but the answer to the question jesus is saying This is when my foot touches the ground and I'll be king. This is when I set my foot on the ground and I'm staying. And I'm not leaving. And I'm not leaving anybody to wander. This is when I come. This is when I will be here. In verse 32 he says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know... Summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. He wants us to understand the sign of the times. Now, there's a lot of, of teaching in regard to the fig tree. Now, I don't necessarily buy it all. When I study about the fig tree, I don't find a reference in the Old Testament to Israel being a fig tree. I find references of the fig tree speaking of the fruitfulness of the land, but not of the fig tree being Israel. So, so I struggle with that concept as we look at it. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the next verse. But what's the simple understanding of what he's saying? When you see the fig tree blossom, that means summer's near. So also, when you see these things happening, what we've been talking about for three weeks... Earthquakes, famine, pestilence, wars, and rumors of war, increasing and increasing and increasing. When you see the things spoken of by Daniel the prophet, no, it's near. The time has come. It's not time to be just playing games with our faith. Is your faith real or isn't it real? Are you, don't be on the fence. There's no time to be on the fence. It's time to make a choice. Who are you? Are you Christ's disciple. If you put your faith and trust in Him, He is able to deliver, 
to the uttermost. The parable of the fig tree is, when you see the signs of the times, recognize them and do something about it. When you see the signs of the times, recognize them and do something about it. Do something. It's, it's so frustrating. Not necessarily for us, because I believe we're, we're, we're very involved in a lot of things. We, we feed the hungry. We're helping people in Africa. We're reaching out to Vietnam. We're, we're making disciples, as the Scripture declares, of all men and in all nations. Reaching out, trying to do the things that Christ has called us to. But there's a whole part of the body of Christ that just sits down and does nothing. When you see the signs of the times, you know summer is coming. You get out your shorts. You break out the flip-flops. It's going to get warm. So I, I'm able to recognize that and be prepared. I believe what Jesus is saying, will you recognize the signs of the times and be prepared? Will you recognize the, the issues in the world that we're, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow? We talked about that last week. None of us are guaranteed the next moment. Listen, before the, the, the Antichrist can come on the scene, the, the temple is probably going to be re rebuilt. It could be rebuilt in conjunction with him. There's going to be a peace treaty. Seven years will begin. At three and a half years, there'll be an a, a abomination of desolation. And three and a half years after that, Christ's going to come, put his foot on the earth. That's all going to happen. I can set my clock on it. But the rest of Scripture says, Be ready, for you do not know the hour when the Son of Man is coming for you. For us individually. For us corporately as a church. Now, I don't know about you, I have family that, that don't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And I honestly believe all the stuff we read. I believe it happens. I believe it's real. I believe it's just as real as what Daniel said was going to take place in 168 B.C. And it happened. I believe it all. And if, since I believe it all, then what manner of man or woman ought I be with my brothers or sisters or family that doesn't know Christ? The scripture does not require me to save anybody. It does require me to tell. To say, I believe that he's a Christ. And that he's going to do the things that he says. And I believe he's provided for you and me. I believe he's provided an opportunity for us to obtain salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.9 says, For we are not appointed to wrath, but what? But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He has made a way. All that's required in that way is that I commit my life to Him. That I receive Him. That I receive Him unto myself. That I believe He is the Christ. I put my faith and trust in Him. I don't have to become a great theologian or understand the Greek and Hebrew before I can be saved. I can be saved at any moment. And if I am saved, my gift to God is what I'm doing with it. What do you do with your salvation? Put it in your pocket? 
set it on a shelf? Or do you take that salvation and, and, and show someone? Man, look at this. Look at this. You too can know. You can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Jesus would go on to say, Assuredly I say to you, this generation shall not pass away until all these things take place. There's at least five different views on who this generation is. Initially they said this generation, according to the Psalms, uh, there's actually two different Psalms that, that refer to it, speaks of a 40-year generation. So Jesus the, the end is going to occur. 1948, we saw Israel become a nation. Uh, Forty years later is 1988. Seven years back is 1981. So the rapture is coming in 1981. That actually happened. If you were around and paying attention, you'd have heard about it. Then you would have heard about 88 reasons why he's coming back in 88. There's another view that says, according to the Psalms, again, the Psalm speaks of of a generation being a man's entire life. And so, and, and listen, I'm not saying, one. I'm just trying to give them all out to you. One says it's already occurred, but this one, Psalm says it's a man's entire life. If you were to say that the fig tree is a nation of Israel, blossoming, becoming a nation, then the generation that saw that, before they die, all this stuff's going to happen. 1948, if you say 1948 is the beginning of the nation. I think I can make an argument for 1967. But regardless, there's that view. Israel became a nation. The generation that saw that become a nation before that generation passes, it's all going to happen. It's all going to take place. That would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 2028. Scripture also lays out for us <clears throat> that this could have been the disciples listening. You guys. And that's the preterist view or the all-millennialist view. The preterist view means it all happened in 70 AD. And the disciples that Jesus was talking to were that generation. And in their lifetime, Israel ceased to be a nation and the temple was destroyed. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. There's that view. As I look at this and as I, and as I consider these things, there, there's two other views. One being, then these last two to me, I think, have the, the, the greatest credence. But hey, you guys be Bereans. <laughs> Who am I? You guys see, read, study. Tell me who it is, what's going on. The last two views are that the, the people who see the beginning of the tribulation, that the end of the tribulation is going to occur in their lifetime, in their generation. Well, it's only seven years long, so, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It's going to end. It's not going to last forever. It's not going to be in a thousand years. You know, some people like to quote Peter. Don't you know that the Lord said as a... A day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day, so they can make a single day's last thousands of years. They just pull that scripture out and throw it against the wall next to a day and say, it's a thousand years now. But he says here, that generation will see these things all take place. So, so that's one view. 
The last view of the five that I think probably have the, the greatest value is the one that I probably see contextually as being what he's talking about and who he's talking to. You see, as he's talking to the nation, he's, he's, he's talking to the disciples who are afraid of the destruction of their nation, the temple's being destroyed, our house is left to us des- desolate, when are you going to set up your kingdom? How's all these things going to happen? And then the Lord says, but I want you to understand something. This generation, and that word for generation, can also mean this people, this race, this nation. Israel will not pass away until every promise I gave her happens and that's what i think fits best in the context this generation speaking of the nation of israel same phrase you can read mr clark uh, um uh, adam clark i think is his first name but he gives a, a a long dissertation on the understanding of the phrase and why he believes that that speaking of the <clears throat> the nation the race the people listen Because they're thinking our temple's destroyed. They're thinking our world's going to be torn apart. They're thinking the nation's not going to exist anymore. We're going to be cast in the four corners of the world. God's going to forget about me. Have you ever felt that way? Well, listen, this is why this promise is so important. Because God himself says, I'm never going to forget about them. I'm never going to forget my promises to Israel that he made way back to Abraham in the book of Genesis. He says, I'm going to keep every single one. You will not cease to be a people before I come back and sit as your king. Everywhere the Jew went, they were segregated Everywhere they went, they retained their national language. Most of us in the United States have a hard time figuring out where we came from. I am a mutt. I don't even know. I got Welsh and German and... and, and Have you ever noticed how many people have Indian in them? There's a bunch of Indians around, huh? And then the the hilarious thing is, every time I talk about Indian, I go, yeah, I'm like a 64th. I don't know what that means. Except I have it somewhere in my past. But the, but the Jew, the Jew retained their national identity without a nation, without a country for 2,000 years. And in 1948 when they came back, man, that is a monumental thing. So the words of Jesus to his disciples, to me saying, this generation, these people... I'm going to keep my promise to you. Why is that important to me? It means he's going to keep his promise to me. It means he's not going to write me off. You ever read about the history of the nation of Israel? I mean, come on, guys. They're not, they're not always on board. They complain. A lot. That should make us feel better when we complain. Huh. I see you guys still walking in church. They didn't put them chairs back yet. Just, just think how excited you'll be when they're back. 
But the point is, no matter how we are, no matter what we are, no matter what happens in our heart, no matter the struggles we have, no matter how often we feel like God's forgotten me, where's he at? Where's the Lord in all this? The same promise he made to them, he's made to you. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. And I go to prepare a place for you individually. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again for you individually to bring you to me. So that where I am, there you will be also. That promise is real and true. We can hang our hat by it. Because the very next scripture says, The heavens and the earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. God keeps his promise. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we look at this timetable of the last days, we look at the events of, of when you will return to be king, the true return of the king. Lord God, we look so forward to that day when all the wrongs are set to right, when you rule, when peace finally reigns. But until that time, God, you've given us a commission, and that commission is to go into all the world making disciples of all men, baptizing them, teaching them, helping them to know the truth of salvation. And you tell us, when you see the fig tree and in the Gospel of Luke, all the trees blossom. Know that it's at the door. Time is short. Redeem the time. God, there's some here today that have never made a decision for you. Figure they have always got another day, another opportunity, another time. But there's no guarantee that I get the next breath. God, I pray that by your Spirit you would work in their life. Father, there's others here this morning who are thinking, Man, I, my brother or my, or my sister or my uncle or my aunt or my neighbor or my friend. I've just always been so afraid to tell them. God, I pray that we would no longer be a people who live our life by fear. For perfect love casts out fear. You have not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power. By the power of your Holy Spirit to be your witnesses. God, give us eyes to see the signs of the time. It's late. The hour is far spent and we still have right now. How will we spend it? Lord, I pray that you would be glorified and magnified in this place as believers ask you, God, for the strength to be who you've called us to be. I pray that you be glorified and magnified in this place as those who don't know you make a decision to say, today is the day of salvation. It's as simple as saying, be my Lord and Savior. 
Forgive me of my sins. I am a sinner. Save me. Man. God, I pray that you would accomplish great things through this body. That we would look for opportunities to see a hungry man and give him food to eat. We see a man who needs clothing and we would give him clothing. We see someone in prison and we visit him. We remember those who are in faraway countries and we pray for them. So that on the day that I see you face to face, I will not hear. When I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. God, let us get off the bench and get in the game. Let us make that choice that says, I am a true believer. I'm finished with this lazy life. I want to be like Jesus Christ. I want to love without expecting anything in return. I want to be his disciple. Lord, we pray that you would do an incredible work in and through us as we seek your face in this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to close out in a word of worship, and I want to invite.